0: Excellent. If you can make your way back to your seats, we're going to get started. And please open up your Bibles to the book of Judges, chapter 6. Judges, chapter 6 is our passage of Scripture this morning. Judges 6 through 8 is the section of Scripture that we're going to be covering in our series Seeing Christ in all of Scripture. And I'm really looking forward to this story because the title of the message is Gideon and God. Gideon and God. And so we're going to begin reading in Judges chapter 6 together. And just by way of a little background, the year is 1169 B.C. Israel turns from God and the Midianites oppress Israel and specifically the tribe of Issachar, very severely. And so if we can put the first map up about the tribe of Israel that was really featured in this section of Scripture, um, that would be great. Good. Here's the uh, tribe of Issachar. This is a northern tribe. You see over here is the Jordan River. A lot of the... Um, a lot of the nations, the Gentile nations, would come across this river and attack into this area and oppress Israel, the entire nation, but Issachar really would sometimes take the worst of it because they were directly across the river. And so what we have here is Gideon. His hometown is over here at Ophrah, and that'll factor into the story, and uh, we'll see that play out as time moves along into the story. So you can keep the map up uh, now for just a moment. And so let's read uh, God's word in Judges chapter 6 and read about Gideon and God. Just so, for a little bit of history too, after the death of Joshua, this is now about 200 years that have passed from the time of the first judge, Othniel, down to the time of Gideon right now. And so the oppression is really great. And in fact, Um, many believe that around 1140 BC, it's 1169 BC at the start of this passage in 1140 is when Naomi, Ruth and Boaz, just due to the oppression of everything that was going on, fled to Moab and we'll be picking up the story of Ruth after we get done judges. And I'm really looking forward to that, but it puts it into context for you that Naomi, Ruth and Boaz are kind of within this section here between Gideon and Abimelech, who was the next, uh, Leader, that will factor into the story in Judges 9. So Judges chapter 6, let's begin reading God's word together. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. <clears throat> now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock. And pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. And then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiezrites. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, And build an altar to the Lord, your God, on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due water. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down and the Asherah beside it was cut down. And the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die, for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him. Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubal. That is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East came together. And they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet them. And then Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. Then Gideon said to God, let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please, let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night and it was dry on the fleece only and on all the ground there was dew. Then Jerubbaal that is Gideon and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Harod and the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon the people With you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of them, I say to you, this one shall go with you. Shall go with you, and any one of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, "Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink." And the number of those who lap, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men who lapped. I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand and let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but, re- but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, arise, go down against the camp for I have given it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, And you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand that is on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade, and he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the 100 men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands and the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars they held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow and they cried out a sword for the lord and for Gideon every man stood in his place around the camp and all the army ran they cried out and fled. When they blew the 300 trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah toward Zerora, as far as the border of abel Maholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Orab and Zeb. They killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. Then the men of Ephraim said to him, what is this that you have done to us not to call us when you went to fight against Midian? And they accused him fiercely. And he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the grape harvest of Abiazer? God has given into your hands the princes of Midian, Oreb, and Zeb. What have I been able to do in comparison with you? Then their anger against him subsided when he said this. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over, he and the 300 men who were with him, exhausted, yet pursuing. So he said to the men of Succoth, please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted. And I am pursuing after Zabah and Zalmana, the kings of Midian. And the officials of Succoth said, are the hands of Zabah and Zalmana already in your hand that we should give bread to your army? So Gideon said, well then, when the Lord has given Zabon Zalmanah into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And from there he went up to Penuel and spoke to them in the same way. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered. And he said to the men of Penuel, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zabon Zalmanah were in Karkor with their army, about 15,000 men, all who were left of the arm of all the army of the people of the east for there had fallen 120,000 men who drew the sword. And Gideon went up by the way of the tent dwellers east of Nabah and Jagbaha, and attacked the army, for the army felt secure. And Zabah and Zalmanah fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zabah and Zalmanah, and he threw all the army into a panic. And then Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from the battle by the ascent of Haris, and he captured a young man of Succoth and question him. And he wrote down for him, the officials and elders of Succoth, 77 men. And he came to the men of Succoth and said, behold, Zabon Zalmanah, about whom you taunted me saying, are the hands of Zabon Zalmanah already in your hand that we should give bread to your men who were exhausted? And he took the elders of the city and he took thorns of the wilderness and briars and with them taught the men of Succoth a lesson. And he broke down the tower of Penuel and killed the men of the city. Then he said to Zabon, Zalmanah, where are the men whom you killed at Tabor? And they answered, as you are, so were they. Every one of them resembled the son of a king. And he said, they were my brothers, the sons of my mother. And as the Lord lives, if you had not saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said to Jether, his firstborn, rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid, because he was still a young man. Then Zabon Zalman said, rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and killed Zabon Zalman, and he took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you. Every one of you, give me the earrings from the spoil. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak. And every man threw it in threw in it the earrings of his spoil. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested it was 1,700 shekels of gold beside the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian. And besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah, and all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and to his family. Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more, and the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. Jeroboam and the son of Joash went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives, and his concubine who was in Shechem also bore him a son, and he called his name Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash's father at Ophrah of the Abiezrites. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal-Bareth their God. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubel, that is Gideon, in return for all the good that he had done to Israel. Let's pray. Lord God, I ask that you would bless the preaching of your word this morning. We thank you that your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's amazing, Lord, that your word capturing Israel's history in 1169b is just as relevant right now here in 2019 as it was first penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for that. And I pray that you would apply, Holy Spirit, your word into our hearts as your people and strengthen us and feed us greatly and cause us to love the Lord Jesus Christ more passionately. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. A judge is like... A warrior who brings about justice for Israel. That's what a judge is in the book of Judges. A warrior or a savior with a small s who God raises up to bring justice for Israel. And that's what we're going to look at. Gideon, the judge, and his God here in this section of Scripture. We're going to look at the first point. Gideon, weak. God, strong. Gideon, weak. God, strong. And for that, I want to take us to Uh, Chapter 6, verse 15, the verse we just read, where the word of God says, and Gideon says, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So Gideon is confessing here his great weakness. And here, it's important for us to remember, brothers and sisters, the truth that God chooses the weak To shame the strong. I want to highlight 1 Corinthians 1 for you and read that, and we'll have that projected for you. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. And here's the goal so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Gideon is just confessing his weakness, and we find him right in the beginning here. He's threshing wheat in a wine press, which... And the process of threshing wheat requires you to be outside where the wind is blowing. So when you throw the wheat up into the air and thresh it, the, the, the chaff gets separated from the wheat that you'll use to make bread. The oppression of the Midianites was so great that he's doing it indoors with no wind, which would have been a tedious process. So this, this picture of a mighty man of valor outside saying, come on, Midian, come and try to get my wheat from me is not the image here. This is a man inside threshing wheat in a wine press. And then the angel of the Lord comes and calls him mighty man of valor. And when God, through the angel of the Lord, tells him to be his man and to rise up and save Israel, he says these words in verse 15. My clan is the weakest and I am the least in my father's house. God loves doing this. He loves doing. Choosing weak us to move in power through. In fact, you remember in in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says that he boasts all the more gladly in his weaknesses. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am what? I'm strong. If you feel weak today and wonder how in the world is God ever going to use me You are in the perfect place, brother. You are in the perfect place, sister, to be used of God because God delights to use his weak people to display his mighty strength. And with God on your side, just by way of personal application to you here this morning, with God on your side, no matter how weak you are, you become mighty in the power of the Holy Spirit to do things That you could never do in your own power and might. Through our weakness, God has the proclamation of his all-powerful gospel come forth. And it literally raises spiritually dead souls to spiritual life forever. A soul crosses over from eternal damnation in hell to eternal life in heaven with Jesus. Through us weak vessels carrying this treasure in jars of clay... To show that the power is from God. The surpassing power comes from God and not men. That is how God builds his church. That is how God saves his people Israel. And let us always be remembered that though Gideon is weak, God is strong. And let us take great heart this morning as we contemplate that truth. Gideon knew that the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt. We see that in verse 13. He heard The word from the unnamed prophet in the first section in 1 through 10, reminding the people of Israel that God is the one, Yahweh is the one who brought his people out of Egypt and redeemed them with his mighty hand. And yet he is perplexed at the oppression that they've experienced. He's wondering how God could be with them. And has God not forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian and Here we see the angel of the Lord show up once again in the story. The angel of the Lord comes. I love verse 11. It just says he sits under the terebinth at Ophrah. And then he addresses Gideon. We've been looking at seeing Christ in all of Scripture. And we've been seeing this figure, this being called the angel of the Lord. Not an angel, but the angel of the Lord. And here he is again. He shows up throughout the book of Judges. And we see him here encouraging Gideon. And he is such a fascinating, fascinating being. As we've looked at throughout the scriptures so far in the Old Testament, he receives worship unlike the angels. He is no mere angel many theologians believe that the angel of the Lord is appearances of the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ coming to be in the midst of his people in times of trouble. So just as Jesus is with us in our times of trouble, Jesus is with his people under the old covenant in their times of trouble, and he is there with them in the midst to encourage them to carry on Proclaiming peace to them and encouraging them. And he says to Gideon in the midst of his fears, he says to Gideon, I will be with you. Verse 16, look at that. He proclaims his weakness, Gideon does, and the Lord said to him. What's awesome about verse 16 is the angel of the Lord is ascribed in verse 16. It just says, and the Lord, or Yahweh, speaking of the angel of the Lord, The angel of the Lord, who's described as Yahweh in verse 16, says to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I couldn't help, brothers and sisters, when I heard that, I will be with you. I couldn't help but remember Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, and lo, I am with you always, church, even to the end of the age. He's always with us. He'll never... Leave us or forsake us. And here we see him here with Gideon, breathing encouragement into him. In the midst of his weakness, God is showing himself to be mighty and strong. One other, I can't just leave this out, but I love the way that the angel of the Lord comes and proclaims peace to Gideon. And Gideon, in verse 24, builds an altar to the the Lord and calls it the Lord is peace. But look at the words in verse 23. So the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Because Gideon's afraid. Because he knows now it's the angel of the Lord whom he's seeing face to face. And instead of striking him dead, the angel of the Lord says, Peace. Peace be to you. I couldn't help church but think, by way of application to us, John 14, verse 27. Take this heart to heart and drink this in, church. Jesus says, before he dies, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Old Testament and new, we've got Jesus Christ on the scene encouraging his weak people and reminding them of his almighty strength that dies on the cross for sinners and rises from the dead to bring salvation to all who repent and believe. I love these glimpses of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Don't you? I get so excited, church, going through the Old Testament with you and seeing Christ in all of Scripture. Let's move on to point two. Gideon fearful, God reassuring. Gideon fearful, God reassuring. He's threshing wheat in the wine press. He is hidden. He's fearful. And the first words that come from the angel of the Lord to him are, O oh, mighty man of valor. I mean, Gideon might have looked up and said, "Oh, I, mean, I think you got the wrong house. But there's just these words of reassurance, these words of encouragement right from the beginning from the angel of the Lord here in chapter six. And and you see here, Gideon is a guy, he just, he, he's got to see signs. He, he wants a sign that what the angel of the Lord is saying to him is true and that he is who he's saying he is. And he, and the first thing he does, he's like, I want to make a meal for you. Will, you. will you stay here? And he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll stay right here until you get back. And there's just this funny image where Gideon goes and prepares this meal for the angel of the Lord. And you get this sense of the angel of the Lord, uh, the pre-incarnate Christ is sitting by the Terebinth tree, just like chilling out. Midian's oppressing his people, but Jesus is just on his mission and he's going to deliver his people just like he delivers them in the New Testament. He's not harried. He's not worried. He's not in a rush. He's there waiting as Gideon brings back the offering. And what's so wonderful is that we see we see his divine nature and the fact that in this instance, we see him eating the broiled fish during the incarnation, but we see him here, the way that the food is consumed, he reaches out the staff in his hand and touches it and it goes up in flames. And then he vanishes. So this mysterious angel of the Lord is worthy of worship and praise. He comes to encourage fearful Gideon and to reassure him, oh, you need a sign? You need me to show you something of my power here? I'll consume this food that you lay before me. And you get this image right away here in chapter 6. God meets Gideon right where he's at in his doubts and his fears. And Christ Community Church, my dear brothers and sisters, he does the same with us. He meets us right where we're at right now in the midst of our doubts and our fears and he, is not, he doesn't distance himself from us, just like he didn't distance himself from Gideon. And he was not hindered from using Gideon because Gideon was fearful and afraid. There's evidence of his fear all the way throughout this entire section. It's so awesome that God uses his weak and fearful people, brothers and sisters, to do great things for his glory isn't that encouraging to you all this morning? I know it is to me. And so the signs continue. You see it a little bit later on in chapter 6, at the very end of the chapter in 30, 36 through 40, with the two fleeces. And you see this image here of, of, once again, God just being willing to meet Gideon right where he's at. And I just love, I love this picture of how he is so faithful to meet Gideon where he's at. He lays down the fleece the one night and says, please, can you fill up the fleece with water, but let everything else be dry. And when he wakes up, everything all around the ground on the threshing floor is bone dry, but he picks up the fleece. He wrings out a bowl of water out of the fleece. And then due to his fears, he tests the Lord yet again the next night and says, do it in reverse. Please let the fleece be bone dry and everything around it filled with dew. And God does that. I was so blessed when Tom led us into the song this morning. I couldn't help but chuckle at the line that we sung. The molecules and the planets are under the sovereignty of God. I mean, what an encouragement to this man who was so fearful. God's calling him to go and lead the army of Israel Against 120,000 Midianites and Amalekites who were oppressing them, and what a better sign than to say, "Hey, listen! I am not only—I am sovereign over the molecules of water all around you. I've got the Midianites too." Be encouraged, O oh mighty man of valor! And again, this passage here of the fleece—it's not—it's not a narrative telling us how we should seek the will of God for our lives. The point of The narrative is God is so kind to meet his weak people right where they're at. And he will always be right where you're at right now, brothers and sisters. You can come to him in your weakness and you might feel like, I don't even know what to pray. And God, I I can't even pray right. And I don't know what's even right to pray. Pray to him as you are and pray to him from the genuineness of your heart because your God hears you. You don't need to be an expert in prayer to seek him. God is so kind to meet Gideon right where he's at and reassure him in his loving kindness. I love that section of scripture. And it just goes on and on. You see him overhearing the dream when he, the Lord tells him, listen, I got one more thing for you. Okay, you're camping, you're out camping now. You got the 300 men, we've separated that down. Imagine you got a fearful guy here whose first time in command He's got 32,000 going up against 120,000. You're like, we are so outnumbered. And God's like, you know what? You got too many men. Let me separate them out. Tell the guys that don't want to fight to go home. They go home and he's got 10,000. He's like, okay, 10,000. And God's like, that's still too many. (laughs) And he separates them out by the water side, by the spring and the men who, who kneel and cup, their hands and bring the water up to their face, which were the minority, the majority of the men, 9,700 men, thirsty men, got down on their knees and put both hands to the water and face down were drinking the water, but there was 300 men who drank a little differently and drank on the alert, and the Lord said, this minority here, 300? Gideon might have been tempted. Can I have the 9,700 Lord? He's like, no, I'm going to take you with 300. And they're encamped across a camp that was without number. First time in leadership. This is designed to display the power of God. God has intentionally done that. And he says, I want to show you something. He sends Gideon down by the camp and at precisely the right moment he's got his servant Purah next to him he hears the dream one comrade between the Midianites and Amalekites says to the other and the enemy gives the interpretation of the dream that the sword of Gideon the man of Israel God is going to give us into the hand of Israel and Gideon was encouraged, and he worships. I love that it says Gideon worshipped. He encountered God and his kindness, bringing him down to overhear the conversation amongst two soldiers, amongst 120,000 men, and they're talking about something that is going to infuse Gideon with confidence. I just can't help but see just the kind providence of God In Gideon's life, which is also in display in all of our lives, that God meets us right where we're at in our weakness to encourage us to do the very things he's calling us to do, which we feel so inadequate to do, brothers and sisters. God moves in mighty power through his weak people. Amen? Be encouraged today. Be encouraged by this and take heart. Point three, Gideon is empowered and God is glorified. He reduces the numbers I've already talked about. And, he, and the reason he does it, it says there in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, look at that. He says, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. There are many Christians today who want to boast and say that my own hand has saved me. I did it. I saved myself. I repented. I believed What God is saying here through this passage, Old Testament and in New, is that he has designed salvation in such a way as to leave no room for human boasting. Salvation is from the Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's by grace that you're saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. I love that phrase of scripture in Ephesians 2. It's a gift. It's a free gift of God. Anyone who repents of their sins and believes in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross will be saved, but it will be saved by grace and by grace alone for the glory of God alone. Amen, church? Galatians 6 says in verse 14, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, the Apostle Paul says. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. So 300 men rout an entire army. And what conclusion does God want you and I to come to as we read Judges chapter 7? That was God. That's exactly the point. He wants us to look and to boast only in him. And At the end of the day, when we're standing there enjoying rest and deliverance from oppression from sin and Satan, and we see ourselves here in this church after many years and, and look at our lives and see how kind God has been, to save us and to preserve us, church. He wants us sitting here every Sunday, going upward in worship and saying, that was you. That was you. This was not my doing, God. This is because of you. And it's all from you and through you and to you. And I give you the praise. Like Gideon, I worship because you have done it all. And I praise you, glorious Christ, for what you have done. There is a route. The princes of Midian are destroyed. Later on, the kings of Midian are destroyed by 300 men. In fact, late there in uh, Judges 7 and then into Judges 8, you see that there's 300 men still in pursuit. And there's a fascinating story, and I read it for you from God's word heading into Judges chapter 8 that we really need to take to heart, church. I think we all have to. While in pursuit, the 300 ask for refreshment from their brothers. And they don't get it. They don't get it. They were fearful that the two kings of Midian would survive and that Gideon would go back home and then that those two worldly Canaanite kings would come back and know that they supported Gideon and destroy them. And so they said, they're not dead yet. You don't have them dead yet. So we can't support you. Brothers and sisters, there's an application here. We need to choose. It's like Joshua said in Joshua 24, choose you this day, which God you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm making bread for Gideon and his men. But they don't do it. The men of Succoth do not do that, and then the men of Penuel do not do it either. And and there's just this tragic story of these exhausted warriors having cut down and worked a mighty deliverance for the glory of God and for the benefit of them. And they come away empty-handed and further exhausted and discouraged. Well, the wrath of Gideon rises up, and rightly so because these men had done them a service and there was no gratitude on behalf of their brothers for fighting in the battle. Church, let us be of the Spirit where we join the pursuers and we also aid the warriors in war in this church. Let us learn from the example here of the Israelites who wanted to stand aloof from their exhausted brothers who were pressing in to fight. We need to learn a practical application here when it comes to the gospel, applying this in our lives here. The battle will be won and the gospel will advance to the ends of the earth and then Jesus Christ will return. But woe to us who do not aid God in the advance of his cause, but instead shut our doors and leave our brothers and sisters hanging while they're in the midst of the fight. We cannot say, I'm going to live my life with ease and comfort here. And when it comes to church and when it comes to the advance of the gospel, I want me to benefit. I want me and my family to benefit. And I am here simply to be fed, nourish me. But don't ask me to pick up a sword and don't ask me to nourish others. This is tragic, this story. And it's placed there for a reason in fact, you think this is the only place it happens? No. In the, in the song with Deborah and Barak's song in Judges chapter five, you might remember in verse twenty-three, the word says, "Curse Moroz." That's a town that did not aid Deborah and Barak when they crushed Sisera. It was a town in Israel that would not aid their brothers and sisters. And the angel of the Lord says, "Curse Moroz." Cursed its inhabitants thoroughly because they did not come to the help of the Lord. To the help of the Lord against the mighty. There are those who want to have all the benefits without any of the cost. And church, I thank God that you, you are not that type of people. But we must take care that over time we do not lose a warrior spirit as we seek to live out the Christian life. I was really affected by Matthew chapter 25. I was reminded of this. I think it's relevant. The word of God says, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering and gathering where you scattered no seed. And so I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was at, was my own with interest. So take the talent from him. This is Jesus speaking. Take the talent from him and give it to him who has the 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, Even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Church, there are so many professing believers who believe all they need to do is believe in Jesus, get the hell insurance for them, and then they can sit on the sidelines, enjoy the good life here on earth, and not do anything For the good of Christ and the advance of his gospel and the marshalling and building up of his precious church. Let us say never, never let it be me, Lord. All the way till my dying breath, Lord, if I can't be carrying the sword against the princes and the kings of Midian, cutting them down on the field of battle, let me be bringing out the bread for the men who can. And the women who can. Let us be of this type of spirit church. We cannot fear. The world. And the repercussions for standing up for Christ. The gospel will go forward. With or without us. And the church will endure great persecution before the end. But we need to sign up on Jesus' side in our hearts. Because we cannot stand on the sidelines in this battle. It will be better for us. If the gospel cause goes forth with our efforts and with our aid. than not. So I ask all of us. Are you going to stand with your brothers? Or are you going to stand with the world? May each of us lend our sword and our bread to the cause of Christ In this world. The men of Midian were routed. And the two princes and the kings were destroyed. And God was greatly glorified by the 300. But it was a shameful day. For the men of Succoth and the individuals in Penuel. They had their tower broken down. And the men of Succoth. Gideon goes back. He gets their names. And briars from the wilderness were brought in. And they were taught a lesson. Because they did not come to the aid of their brothers when they needed it most you see David do the same thing later on and we'll hit that in the old testament as well but God is greatly glorified by the salvation he works from the few as Jonathan said to his armor bearer in his day in 1st Samuel 14:6 nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether by many or by few what a happy happy truth And I couldn't help but think of this for application for us. Look at us here. And nobody's going to look in here and think, oh my gosh, like what could, There's, there's potential here to take the nations. It's just us here, Christ community, just us. A bunch of Christians gathered together. We number less than 300. This passage here is meant to infuse all of us with passion and strength for what God can do through few. Can God reach all of Berks County with a witness for the gospel of Christ and the areas surrounding and get a gospel witness out to the nations through us? Yes. Yes. Because when it's us, he gets all the glory. He does not need a mega church with all of its millions, with its own building and everything going on to get his gospel out there. Just get my weak people who are aware of their weakness and let me infuse them with the power of the Holy Spirit and send them out. And then the gospel, when it comes out from our lips, brothers and sisters, people are going to see us trembling in fear, fearful, barely able to get the name of Jesus off our lips, but it will come out from our lips and the power of God on the salvation will be unleashed And souls will be brought from eternal death to eternal life as we tremble in front of them. That's the glory of Christ. And that's how he is glorified in his church. So take heart, church. God's going to use us. I felt by the power of the Holy Spirit, a fresh infusion of faith for what the Lord's going to do through us, his precious church. And I'm excited for the days to come. Point four, quickly, Gideon unfaithful, God faithful. It is so sad when you get to the end of 8. You heard me when I was reading it. He just says, he actually says to the men who say, listen, Gideon, rule over us. Let your son, let your grandson, we want you and your family to rule over us. Gideon says great words in verse 23. I will not rule over you. And my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Gideon, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then the next verse happens. And you're like, no, no. Because reminiscent of the golden calf. He takes the spoil of the men that they had just conquered and makes an idol out of it. And you sit there and you just grab your head and you're like, no, 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 no. And it stumbles Gideon and his whole family. And it leads Israel to idolize after this false ephod. Now remember, there's a true ephod that the high priest would wear. And you'll see this later in Israel's history as well. There will be leaders that rise up and they will bring forth a counterfeit altar. A counterfeit ephod, which becomes an idol. Where people are distracted from the worship of Yahweh rather than fueled into the worship of Yahweh, and they walk away from the Lord. And it is so tragic that Gideon, this mighty man, and it's a reminder to us, brothers and sisters, that as mighty and as wonderful and as courageous as the men and women of God are all throughout Israel's history and in the church, there is nobody perfect but one deliverer. Where is the one deliverer, the perfect deliverer, who will come and deliver from sin and Satan without stumbling once. His name is Jesus, right, church? His name is Jesus. And I love how the angel of the Lord allows Gideon to see him face to face, even though he is weak and frail and sinful. It's a reminder to each and every one of us, the Lord Jesus will come back again, and we will see him return with trumpet sound. And we will, as 1 Corinthians 13 says, we will see him just like Gideon saw him face to face. Though we will see him in his incarnate state. Having taken on flesh, he will retain flesh forever. And we will see Jesus' beautiful eyes of love. And we will look into those eyes when we get to the new heavens and new earth, brothers and sisters. And that will be the culmination of all of our dreams and ambitions. That will be the most beautiful thing our eyes have ever or will ever seen. Seeing Jesus face to face is the very pinnacle. It's like the top of Mount Everest in terms of what heaven represents. And we are going to see the Lord Jesus face to face because of what he has done. He never stumbled. He never fell. He went to the cross and died for our sins and rose from the dead. Oh, trust in him. Brothers and sisters, believe in him. Because what is so amazing in this entire section of scripture, and I'm so affected by it, is God remembers Israel when Israel doesn't remember him. He just did something awesome for them. A mighty deliverance. And it wasn't like it's like, oh, five generations later. Church, it's like immediately after. We've got to look at that and take stock and remember how easy it is for us to forget all the good that God has done for us. And you see the tragic end of Judges chapter 8, where the last two verses say these words, 34. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who would deliver them from the hand of all their enemies on every side. And they did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubel, that is Gideon, in return for all the good. That he had done to Israel. And that was my final point. Gideon and God forgotten. An application here as a servant of the Lord like Gideon. Let everything that we do church. Everything that we do. Let it be done for the glory of God. And the glory of God alone. 1 Thessalonians 2.4 says. On the contrary. We speak as those approved by God. To be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people. But God who tests our hearts. Do everything you do. Use all your gifts and your talents and abilities and do it for Jesus and do it for his glory because we see how fickle man is that after all of the good that Gideon had done for Israel, within one generation, it was all forgotten. And they did not show steadfast love. One translation says kindness. They were not loyal to Gideon, though he had done all that he had done for them. And let us never forget the Apostle Paul saying, all of Asia has deserted me at the end of his ministry. Let us not forget that we serve a crucified and risen Savior who everyone fled from him and deserted him on the night when he needed him most, when he died on the cross the next day. He had nobody and he was even forsaken by God because he was our sin bearer in order to save us so that we might never be forsaken by him. Brothers and sisters, serve God for God. Come to church for God. Listen, I want to say even to the young people, when you come to church, listen, thank God for friends and and older saints. Thank God for our friends. Thank God for our brothers and sisters. Thank God for fellowship. We need it. It's a value. We got to cherish it and love it. But let the first thing be on our hearts on Sunday mornings. Jesus, I'm coming to church for you today. That's why I'm coming. I'm going to worship you. We're going upward today to celebrate you for what you've done and to remember what you've done because we see a testament to what happens when God's people don't remember, they rebel. Rebellion begins first with not remembering all that God has done. So church, let us, even as we sung and worship today, once again, I look upon the cross where we die, where He died. I'm humbled by Your mercy, and I'm broken inside. Let us sing songs like that again and again and again to stir ourselves up by way of reminder of all that our awesome God has done in love for us so that we might be saved from the eternity in hell that we deserve by our awesome, loving, crucified, and risen Lord. And let us take comfort in this truth as we close. That God remembers Israel when his people don't remember him. That's our hope. He's faithful when we are not. Aren't you so thankful that we've got a covenant-keeping God who keeps promises even when we fail him day in and day out. Is he not awesome? He's awesome. Uh, let's, Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you so much. For just your mercy in our lives. Tom and the worship team. If you guys could return. Once again Lord. We want to look upon the cross where you died. Once again we want to remind ourselves. And stir ourselves up by way of reminder. God we love you. And we're so grateful that you died for us. Thank you Jesus Christ. For always being in in the midst of your people. In the Old Testament and in the New. Speaking peace unto us. Thank you that we're going to be able to see you face-to-face, Jesus, even as Gideon got to see you face-to-face in Judges chapter 6. But we're going to get to see your wounds. We're going to get to see how you suffered and bled and died to save us. Lord, it's going to be even more beautiful to look you in the eyes and, and, and be able to touch flesh and blood than even Gideon on this great day that he had. Because once again, we look upon the cross where you died and we see your great and amazing love and we want to worship you. Strengthen us as we close in worship, Lord God. Help us to remember and call to mind that protect us from rebellious hearts because we be a people who recall and remember what you have done. Lord, help us and help our children and help our children's children to remember that you died and that you rose again for us so that we, like Gideon, worship from one generation to the next. And our hope, Lord, is not in our own strength. Our hope is in this, that you remember Israel. You remember your people, even when your people don't remember you. We love you, Lord. Be glorified in our worship. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship our risen Savior.
1: Yes. Lord. Thank you just never seems to be enough. But it is the words that we have to express our gratitude, Lord. We look forward to the day... That we will stand in your presence and come up with new words, new phrases, new songs that we will be able to sing to you, Lord. But until that day, Lord, we stand here and we say thank you. Thank you for taking us out of our sin. Thank you for taking us out of the muck and the mire that we were stuck in, Lord. Thank you for setting our feet upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. And thank you that we look forward to a day in the future when we will stand in your presence and enjoy you forever. Lord, take our praise. Take our worship and use it to glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go in peace.